Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to episode number 28 of the Marine Layer podcast with TJ Matthewson and Lyle Goldstein. On today's pod, we welcome on Andrew Arudia, the founder of Train Kicks. If you happen to go to the Mariner City Connect event this past weekend, he was painting a Julio Rodriguez mural. That's him. Uh, the second consecutive Lake Washington kangaroo we've had on this podcast. Lyle is proud. Made the connection, got him on here, make some custom cleats for some athletes around baseball and some Mariners as well. It was a, it's a different kind of conversation, but it was good to have him on to talk about, you know, some equipment uh, of Major League Baseball that he's uh, he's super good about. We have our three Mariners storylines of the week. We take a look down on the farm. Lyle and I each will pick out our standout prospect performer of the week and Take just take a little bit of a look at that. We take a look around baseball with our MLB wraparound, another Russell Wilson umpire of the week, and we close out the show with Speak Your Mind. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you onto this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast here on Monday, May 8th, and Lyle. We've done this again, but it seems like we have some more big news. We got Eric Bedard coming on the podcast. Whoa. Whoa. This got <laughs> is this like the first podcast he's ever done? I feel like it, it would have to be. to be. One, because podcasts weren't that big back when he was with the Mariners or playing in general. And two, I mean, the guy hated the media. So what do we think? So we're going to need to ask Ryan Devish first what questions we should ask him I don't think anyone knows better uh, knows what we should ask him more than than Ryan Devish it seems like he'd probably give us some pretty good questions if if we were to come up with some he'd probably have a few but we're sitting here kidding no our big news is not that we're getting Eric Bedard on the podcast although maybe Eric Eric, if you're listening man I, I don't think you do many of these we'll give you a platform we'll do it We'll happily give them a platform. No, but our real news is we've got some advertising all of a sudden. So we're pretty excited about that. And we've got some advertising partnered with a company that that goes by the name of In The Clutch. They're a sports apparel company. They sell a lot of really cool baseball t-shirts. And you're going to be seeing us wearing some on their social or on our, I should say, on our social media pages. Here in the next week or so, our shirts are on the way. We're really excited about them. But In The Clutch Clothing Company is an official partner of the Marine Layer Podcast. In The Clutch is the ultimate fan site for Seattle baseball merchandise, including the Celebration Trident, official MLBPA shirts for J-Rod, Jared Kelnick, Cal Raleigh, and Los Bomberos. Guys, I'll just give you a spoiler here. I had to get the Jared Kelnick shirt, right? I mean, I had to. I had to. So that's on the shocked. way. No, n- nobody is shocked. It's a cool shirt. It says just killing it. Like, you know, it's a play on with his name, of course. You'll see it again. If you go to our social media pages this week, you'll see it. TJ got the Los Bombero shirt, which, by the way, 
If you saw Matt Brash last year wearing a shirt that said Los Bomberos in some interviews post-game on TV last year, that was a shirt from In the Clutch. So players are wearing this stuff. Brash loved the shirt, and we're all about it too. So if you guys are interested in some In the Clutch clothing apparel, you can go to the site, go to intheclutch.com, and use code MARINELAYERPOD to get 10% off, and currently... Every shirt on their website ships within the U.S. for free. So again, that's code MarineLayerPod on InTheClutch.com for 10% off of any of their Seattle apparel. Along with that, guys, just as an introduction to the company, we're going to be doing a little bit of a giveaway here as well. So for you guys to win a free shirt from In The Clutch, you just have to do two things. You have to be following us on Instagram, and you have to be following In The Clutch on Instagram. So Find their Instagram, go give them a follow, give us a follow, at Marine Layer Pod. We'll keep this open for two weeks, and then we'll pick a, a winner at the end of those two weeks. So we're pretty excited about this partnership. I certainly can't wait to get the shirt in the mail. And they've got some really cool stuff, so we would highly, highly recommend you guys checking it out. Think about it this way. Summer's coming up. I mean, we're going to lose the hoodies. It's going to get warm out. You're just going to want to be rocking a t-shirt and some shorts whether you're going to a baseball game, whether you're going on vacation, whether you're going to the beach, whether you're just, you know, you're just going for a walk around and you want to stand out in something and and show something a little different than something from the official Mariners team store. I would really recommend giving these guys a look. They have some really cool shirts and it's going to make some people stop and look at your shirt. I'm I'm sure we'll show it to you on our social media pages. We get them. You can go check them out in the clutch. Uh, just give them a search in Google. You can you could you find uh, find their website and take a look at some of their Mariner shirts. They got some really cool ones. I'm really excited for my Los Bombero shirt. That thing is sick. It's it's a pretty good. Sh- it's it they're they're good shirts. They really are. So hey, upgrade your style for summer. That I'm just I'm just throwing some free advice at you right here. Go go do it. Go give them a follow on Instagram. Go find some shirts. Use our code Marine Layer Pod for ten percent off. Yeah, it, you won't regret it. And again, you want to follow our social media accounts, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube Shorts, at Marine Layer Pod. Again, you'll be seeing us wearing them. You'll be seeing us wear it on some shows too, believe me. In the coming weeks, you're going to see us wearing it on the show. Getting away from that, TJ, because we are very, very excited about the partnership, but starting to dig into our last week here before we get to start, get to our Mariner storylines. We got to be at the ballpark again this past weekend, or I guess I did. I know in the coming weeks, you'll be up here as well. And I just thought I'd give a quick little recap. Again, kind of giving a plug to our social media channels here. I'd say we took another big step this weekend because this past weekend, we got some player content. And I I think we were pretty excited to do it. So we grabbed Taylor Trammell. We grabbed Bryce Miller, each of them for about just 30 seconds. That's all we needed of their time. And if you go on to some of our social media pages, you'll start to see us doing some of these fun, engaging interviews where we just ask these players some fun questions. And really, we're just trying to get some personality out of them because these guys are all interesting and and, and they certainly all have personality. We're just trying to kind of quarterback that in a little bit of a way and bring some of it out of them with some of these fun questions. So if you want to go check that out, along with more that we're going to be trying to do throughout the year, go check that out too. But yeah, I was I was pretty excited to kind of grabbed these guys when they were walking by on the right field line and certainly gracious that they had some time because, again, it turned into some cool stuff. 
didn't realize Penn Murphy was a quite the stylist, b trusted enough to plan it an entire wedding. I mean, Taylor Trammell, you had to think about it for a second, but he was pretty confident Penn's the the right guy to plan a wedding. And like again, these are the ki- type of things they don't come up in press conferences. Maybe you know the an off the record conversation. You'll you know shoot the shit with a beat writer in the in spring training or something when the when the vibes are really low key. But in season, I mean, it's you just don't really get these kind of personable answers out of players. It's it's nice to just like say, hey, like you get you get you field the same questions every single day for six seven months a year from from media. You're getting asked about the same thing. You're getting asked about tonight's starting pitcher. You're getting asked. Why, why'd you go for three yesterday? All these things. And then us, for Lyle to start, goes up to you and is like, okay, anyone on the team, who's planning your wedding? Boom. Get him to crack a smile, man. I mean, Taylor was was half laughing the whole time he's trying to answer that question. And it's good, right? We have, we mentioned multiple times, we have a good friend who works in the Rainiers organization uh, as of right now. And, you know, him and Taylor, you know, hit it off pretty well. So it's like, it's a pretty easy introduction too. shout out to you, Jeremy Bush for, for helping us out in that retrospect. The mustache really does some wonders and uh, he made a good impression on Taylor Trammell. And I think Lyle did a, did a good follow up there as well. So go check that out on our social media, go Instagram, TikTok, uh, YouTube shorts at Marine Lair pod. Well worth your time. It's funny about 30 seconds total between Bryce Miller and, uh, and Taylor Trammell, but it's a, it's a good chuckle. It's a good chuckle. And Logan Gilbert, also a good wedding planner, apparently. Big Chipotle guy at his wedding, apparently, according to Bryce Miller. Again, guys, this is the stuff you're not going to find just listening to press conferences. We're Again, we're, we're trying to bridge the gap here, get to know these players a little bit. And I'll, I'll give you guys another little spoiler, too. We're trying to get some of these guys on the podcast. Yeah, big spoiler. We want some players on the podcast. But you know what? An idea behind this is we're trying to show these guys with these questions. Not only is it fun, but, you know, we're not sit he- sitting here trying to dig inside information out of them. We're just trying to get to know them and have some fun. And we're trying to show them if we can do that in 30-second intervals. And we could do it on a podcast with them, too. So, fingers crossed. It's all a process here, but we are certainly working to get some players on. And, and hopefully this is another step toward that. Building trust 30 seconds at a time. It, it, you know, it takes some of these writers years to build these relationships with these players. And we're just, you know, we're, we're new on the block. So we gotta, we gotta, you know, we're, we're, we're working our way in. We're, but I'm proud of all the work we've done. Great job to you for being at the ballpark. You've only been at the ballpark four days and already got an interview with the player. I mean, like, think about that. Four days. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, buddy. Well, again, we're trying, hopefully as time goes on. We'll start to get more and more. Hey, the real test is if I can ever get Jared for 30 seconds and can I keep my composure when when he's there? That's you gonna be, be you the went test. you went to J school. You better be able to keep your composure. No, I'm I'm mostly kidding. I would. I would. I just you know, that'd be a cool one to get. You know, hopefully I I'd be there too, and right before you're about to interview him, I could whisper in Jared's ear and just like just like give him a like go go like this, like give you like a like a cup check, really catch you <laughs> off guard. Oh god. <laughs> I think that would well, be funny. I wouldn't be able to do the interview then. I'd probably like, I don't know. Well, like a fall. fake one, a fake one. Oh, I was going to say, I'd probably fall to my knees all of a sudden or something. Well, no, I, I don't need Jared to like sucker punch you on camera. I'm not, I'm not trying to shed that kind of bad light on him. I just think personally it'd be funny because, you know, we got the whole Jared kind of get, but I, I know the real white whale for you to talk to is Dylan Moore. I mean, that is a, that's a long-term project. That's like Dylan, man. 
I believed in you and no one else did. Oh, if he's ever down, if if he's ever around for a little mini mic interview, we'll 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 try and grab him. But hey, first and foremost, get yourself healthy and get back because the Mariners do need you. Speaking of the he's not even back on a rehab assignment yet. No, I think he's I think he's still down in Arizona. I I think he's still trying to get right and and get back healthy. But speaking of the Mariners here, let's get to our three storylines. First one, TJ, I, I mean, I think this is the headline of the last week. Strikeouts on this team are through the roof right now. They have a strikeout problem. It is bad. I'm, it's it's getting a little frustrating to watch. They currently, if you just want to look at the raw numbers, they are the, excuse me while I burp, the second highest strikeout rate, tied for the second highest strikeout rate in baseball. They're only behind the Giants in terms of strikeout rate. And if you look at just the last two weeks, as a team, they're striking out 28% of the time. That is a recipe for failure. Every single time, recipe for failure. You cannot go to the plate over a quarter of your times and strike out and be a successful offensive team. It it just cannot happen. We just watched the game here tonight. We're sitting here recording on Monday, following Monday Monday's game. Ninth inning, three consecutive strikeouts. Not even, not even a, a glimmer of pressure put on uh put on the Rangers bullpen it, it just it, it just kind of kind of it just irks you because we expected the team to strike out Lyle but they're not doing the other things alongside striking out that would make a team more valuable they're not and strikeouts are a part of baseball now strikeouts are up they're always going to be up because pitching's just that much better and the stuff is that ridiculous that being said you cannot strike out this much and have success. You just can't do it. You look up and down this lineup with the starters. Ty France is striking out under 20% of the time. That's Ty France. He doesn't strike out. He makes a lot of contact. Everybody else in the starting lineup is striking out over 20% of the time. I mean, Teoscar's through the roof. He's striking out over 30% of the time. He's right up around 33%. Gino, Jared, Cal, and Julio are all hovering right around the 30% mark. Even J.P. Crawford and Colton Wong, two guys that pride themselves on making a lot of contact and not swinging and missing a lot, they're well up over their career averages because both those guys are almost always under 20% per season in terms of their strikeout rate. They're both over it right now. Everybody is swinging and missing way too much and way over their career average. You can cancel out a lot of strikeouts by doing a couple of things. You can walk a bunch. They are not as high up on the on the leaderboards in terms of walk rate as they were last year. Last year, they were third in baseball in walks. This year, they are not. You can also balance it out by hitting for a bunch of power. They are bottom half of the league in power, like overall. So if you look at isolated slugging, they are 18th. If you look at it, weighted on-base average, which again, weights uh, the difference between a single, double, triple, and home run, they are 23rd in baseball. You cannot mix the combination of not collecting extra base hits and not driving in runs on top of striking. You cannot, you cannot have not great contact on top of too many strikeouts. It is an awful combination, and it is a huge reason why the Mariners have really struggled to score some runs over the past few weeks. I mean, it, it, you cannot cont- you cannot keep the lineup churning if you're you're getting all these guys to strike out of the plate. It is it is 
among the most frustrating things to watch, especially Teoscar. 33% strikeout rate, 2.8% walk rate. This was your premier offensive addition this this offseason. Premier. And he's running a 33 to 2 strikeout rate to walk rate. That like you you can look up any hitter in baseball history. Like there wouldn't be a single probably above average hitter that ran those two numbers. It, it is physically impossible. It's just too many strikeouts. How else can we say it? You cannot swing and miss this much. And it's going to have to come down over time. I think it will. But right now, yeah, it's incredibly frustrating to watch. Because you just talked about it. Look how far down the totem pole they are in isolated power. This is the lineup that's supposed to thrive on hitting the long ball. JP, Colton Wong, those guys don't have a ton of power. Most of this lineup is supposed to hit the baseball over the fence. And they're not even at league average doing so right now. And if they don't, they won't be a successful offensive team. It's pretty simple, right? They're, the strikeouts either need to drastically come down or they need to hit for a lot more power. Otherwise, the the recipe's not going to work with whatever they got. Still a lot of season left, but the early results uh, have not been good. And it's not like they've exactly faced murderer's row of pitchers either. They've had some – think back to the A series this week. I mean, just too, like – just too many strikeouts against uh, the A series, I think, and then the Blue Jay series, especially where they struck out, I believe, forty-two times in three games. Just can't like it, you can't do that. You, you can't do that. So that's something you're gonna have to keep an eye on. I'm sure people are well aware of the fact they strike out way too much. Just too uncompetitive, too often. Our second storyline this week plays off of the strikeout, the broader strikeout total. We're not necessarily worried about Julio Rodriguez, but he has been in a slump in his that for what we've seen in his brief time in the major leagues. We haven't seen this yet. We haven't seen this version of Julio. And it's pretty frustrating to watch alongside the rest of the offense. Every star goes through slumps. Mike Trout goes through slumps. You're seeing Juan Soto get off to a pretty bad start here in 2023. It happens, right? But the fact that this team's motor is Julio Rodriguez. When he goes, the team goes. And when he's struggling the way he has the last two weeks, we've seen the results be pretty up and down. And a lot of it has to do with his strikeout rate. I mean, first off, he's just chasing too many pitches. He's ranking in the 17th percentile of baseball in chase rate. I mean, that's not, that's really not great. That's lower than it was last year for him. He's just swinging and missing a lot. It's a lot of breaking balls off the zone. Like, and we just haven't seen this again. Like uh, he strikes out a decent amount. That's part of his game. But this much chase is something we haven't seen. I'm, I'm, I'll push back on that a tiny bit. His, if you go click between his two savant pages this year and last year, there's pretty similar among most, uh, among most measurables. All right, let's look at this. Last year, 16%, uh, 16th percentile in whiff rate, 19th percentile in chase rate, 20th percentile in strikeout rate. Now let's go to this year. 28th percentile in whiff rate, better. 17th percentile in chase rate, two points worse. 24th percentile in K rate, better. Like those are just a couple things. The main thing I think 
for Julio this year on a, on a purely rate basis. We could go in and dissect all of his at-bats and see where he could do better in each at-bat. Sure thing. <laughs> That's great. But we, we don't have time to do this, do it in this segment. His expected stats for most part across the board are at the same level or better than they were last year. Believe it or not, that is the case. If you go check his baseball savant page, uh, it's pretty similar across the board. If you look at his expected batting average, his expected slugging percentage, his ex-wobo, which is quality of contact, pretty similar across the board. The one thing that he's really struggling with this year which was his moneymaker last year, his fastballs. He stunk against fastballs this year. Easily his worst pitch across the board. I'll debut a new stat here, Lyle. You ready? Ready for this? I know we I know we love our stats here on this podcast. So I'm going to I'm going to use this new this fangraph stat, which is not new. Uh, it is called weighted runs above average, which, as it sounds, is essentially measuring how good you are against a pitch. For example, Julio against fastballs last year. That was his best pitch against. He was plus 16 and a half against fastballs. Easily the best pitch he would hit against uh, across any pitch that he was thrown last year. This year, fastballs are his worst. He is at negative 3.7 weighted runs above average against fastballs this year. And all of his other uh, pitches against are all about probably tracking towards where they were last year, like normal. So he's been... Just as good, I'd say, against all sorts of breaking pitches and just atrocious against fastballs. Like that, that is, I think it's as simple as that. And a lot of those fastballs are coming inside. I think pitchers are starting to learn a little bit of a hole that he currently has in his game where he seems to struggle with fastballs in on the hands because that's where he seems to be getting attacked a lot these last couple weeks. Now, look, you're right that in the grand scheme of things, his strikeout numbers and swing and miss numbers aren't that different what I was really trying to get at with that is the chase and okay it's a little bit lower but it's lower and and the amount that it's occurred in the last two weeks is a lot he has chased a lot of breaking balls out of the zone now the fact the whiff rate is a little bit better this year is a positive sign but we've also seen in the last week he's making more contact but it's leading to a lot of balls in the dirt that have turned into double plays so Grand scheme of things, yes, we're not worried. Do we think Julio's going to end the year with an OPS over seven or under 700? Of course not. But when the team needs to win games early, right now early in the year, he's struggling, and as a result, the team's struggling a little bit. And you think about this as a lineup construction, like lineup construction-wise, he's your leadoff hitter. He's been your leadoff hitter all year, and he's like just not doing much with, with the ball at all. So when your leadoff hitters not getting on base and not making most of the opportunities, by the way, the bottom of the order has been getting on in front of him a bunch, and he has not been able to do anything with that. So the biggest thing in summary, Julio is not doing damage with pitches. He did most of his damage against last year, and that needs to change for him. And the other thing with him, we're expected, we coming into this 2023 season, expected improvement across the board for Julio, especially with chasing out of the strike zone, especially with swinging and missing at breaking pitches and, you know, continuing to crush fastballs. We haven't seen that yet. That's a real fact that that improvement factor has not been there through the first month and change of the season. And for the Mariners to take that next step, he has to do the same thing. I will give him credit on this. In the Astros series this weekend, on Friday and Saturday, 
he hit four balls that were 100 miles an hour or harder, and none of them went for hits. So yes, we've seen him strike out a decent amount. We've seen some double plays, but it's not like he's never squaring up the ball. Again, like there's been some games where he looks a little lost, and that happens to players from time to time, right? They just get overmatched. But there are a lot of games where he's gotten a little bit unlucky too. His BABIP is not incredibly high right now. So there's plenty of reasons to believe that this is all going to be put in the rearview mirror here in the coming weeks. But again, the point we're more trying to make is no, we're not that worried about Julio. It's just that right now when they need to win games, it's just in a little bit of a, of a scuffle right now. They need, yeah, they need him and Jerry. If they like really want to start chugging offensively, like him and Jared at the same time, just like catch fire. Like just think of the possibilities if they're both able to consistently put bet on ball together at the same time. That's what you've always, that's what you've, we've been dreaming about for years is for the two of them to do that at the same time. And they really haven't been able to do that so far. Not, and not in, uh, not in synchrony to, to do that together. It doesn't help the less rest of the lineup. Hasn't really been there to bail out Julio. It's only been essentially only been Jared. Yeah, the middle of that order really has to step up. I mean, Gino's not hitting for much power right now. Teoscar, we just talked about it, has to strike out a lot less. They need Cal to be Cal. Again, we've seen spurts of it, but he hasn't hit his stride yet either. I'm going to throw you this one question, though, because I've seen some discourse about it on Twitter. Would you actually move Julio out of the leadoff spot? My answer is no, I wouldn't. Would you rather put JP? Where are you? So where are we sliding? Are we putting him at five? Move JP up to lead off. Could you really slide Julio down that far though? I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. like that's my thing. If you're going to move him all the way down, where are you going to put him? I mean, are, are you going to put Teoscar and Gino up higher in the lineup? Cause again, those guys are struggling right now too. I understand people's worry with Julio and, and there's been some talk like, Oh, let Jared hit lead off for now because he's the one that has been putting together the best at bats. And that's fair. But I, I just think in, in due time here, Julio's going to put this all behind him. How many more weeks of struggles before you'd actually consider that? Because at some point, I mean, you do have to start producing. Not that he another, doesn't. I'll give it another two weeks. Let's call it that. I, I, I believe I in two weeks, he'll turn it around. Yeah. But in two weeks, if he continues to scuffle, I mean... You can't have your leadoff hitter doing that. Like that that's it's pretty plain and simple. And JP Crawford, for as much discourse as that position and he got this offseason, his bat his like offensive profile right now is perfect for batting leadoff. I mean, it is just perfect for it, the per, for that spot. Walking, not striking out a whole bunch. Even like he said, his strikeout rates up a little bit, but he's he's walking a lot and he's making really solid contact. So you know, I, I don't know if I would necessarily hate that decision. To be fair to JP, he's crushing fastballs right now. I'm not saying he's hitting them out of the yard, but we talked about his run value against fastballs this offseason and how he's really struggled against them in, over his career. He's crushing fastballs right now. So that is a welcome sign. So sure, if at some point you decide to move Julio out of the one spot for the time being, you do have somebody to put there. I would just pump the brakes on that for now. I agree. Yeah. Let's get to our third storyline of the week. Lyle, let's get to a a little bit more of a positive note. We've seen two Bryce Miller starts, and he was really, really, really impressive. When we recorded last week, we had yet to actually see him pitch. Now we've seen him pitch twice. 
man, that was fun to watch from from the righty. This has been ridiculous. I mean, you look back at Logan Gilbert and George Kirby's first two starts, and Kirby had that unbelievable start in his debut, which actually at time of recording, I think it's a year ago today that Kirby yeah, debuted. Yeah, you're right. It was. Yep. <laughs> that he spun that gem against the Rays. His second start was more up and down, and Logan's first couple starts were up and down. Bryce Miller just buzzsawed through the world champs in his second start. I mean, check this out for Bryce Miller. He's got one walk and 15 strikeouts in his first two starts. Ready for a couple of Alex Mayer stats? I'm always ready for Alex Mayer stats. Who, by the way, that's another person we hope to get on this podcast. If you don't know who he is, go follow him on Twitter because he'd be a perfect guest because he's a baseball nerd like we are. He works for the Mariners stats and information department. He like he, the stats he'll throw out, like the ones I'm about to list. They're just, he does this for every single game. So Bryce Miller is the first pitcher in major league history with a sub one ERA, 15 strikeouts and equal to or less than a walk over pitchers first two career games. Pretty good. That's pretty good. Bryce Miller is the third pitcher in MLB history with 10 strikeouts and no walks in his debut, joining Johnny Cueto and Steven Strasburg. Pretty good. Strasburg with probably arguably the best debut of all time. So that's a pretty good company. I would agree. No complaints here. So let's like, here's something I want to dive into a little bit with Bryce Miller. Like, let's look at like really the profile of how he has attacked hitters on the mound so far. He is thrown fastballs 70% of the time in two starts. I will note, I went and I checked like the pitch percentage leaderboards. There's not a single starter that has thrown more fastballs more often than Bryce Miller did in his first two starts. Like across the league, all the guys who have thrown that many fastballs, are all relievers. And Bryce Miller's sitting there at 70% four-seam fastballs. And on those fastballs, Lyle, he has thrown 66 of them that a pitcher that a batter has swung at it has resulted in one single total against the against his fastball this year when he throws it 70% of the time and they're hitting 033 against it for to throw a fastball at that much volume to just give up the hit the one hit 033 batting average that's nuts i mean We've heard how good this fastball was supposed to be. You've heard multiple people on this show talk about it might be the best fastball in the minors. I mean, it might not be long before it's up there for best fastball in the majors. Check this out. He's made two starts. His run value on that fastball already, negative five. Negative five in 12 innings. What Bryce does so well, like he has such a high spin fastball. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, the good, it's not the gyro spin. It's, very, it's an active spin. So, like, he was spinning the ball 2,700 RPMs at his peak on Sunday. Like, that's elite, elite level of fastball spin. And when it spins that much, it fights against the force of gravity, makes it almost seem like the ball is rising, and guys continue to just swing under it. He's throwing the pitch down the middle, and guys are still struggling to even put a barrel on it. And here's here's the, a fun comp. I forget if the comp was made on this podcast or we saw it on Twitter – I think it might have been Joe Doyle. Shout out Joe Doyle, first first guest on the podcast. We're going to have to get him back on soon, probably around draft time, because he's he's awesome. But he kept throwing around this comp, which eventually proved itself statistically. So we know how good Spencer Strider was last year, Lyle, with his fastball, which is 
a top two, three fastball in all of baseball. Profiles very, very similar to Bryce Miller's fastball. Check this out. Most strikes thrown in a 2023 Major League Baseball game with 10 inches of drop or less, a.k.a. a fastball that fights against gravity and seems like it goes up. Uh, One, two, three, four, five of these are Spencer Strider, and the other one is Bryce Miller. It's pretty good. You're talking about Strider being good last year. He might be better. He might be even better this year. I think he is better this year. And yeah, he's a guy that basically throws two pitches for the most part. So to see Miller do that and get compared with Strider, yeah. And it makes you think like if, okay, if Spencer Strider can have a fastball with that kind of profile that that's that good, that's that hard to square up, and Bryce Miller profile is very similar to it, then how much of a second pitch does Bryce Miller need more than a second pitch if that's the case? Because if Strider can do it and people can't hit his fastball and people can't hit Bryce's fastball, well, Lane's like, well, maybe they don't. Not as much. Maybe he doesn't need to spend as much time on that. I think you do need a second pitch. I don't think you can just throw one pitch. I mean, like Strider throws a slider. That's pretty good. I think Miller needs the second pitch, and we've talked about that he throws two different sliders, and it, if he absolutely needs it at the back of his arsenal, he has a changeup. But I think you're going to see him throw a lot of fastballs. Now, his next start's against the Tigers. They hit up, they hit high fastballs terribly, so it's probably another start that favors them, especially since it's in a pitcher's park like Detroit. The start you should really circle, if everything stays on schedule, he will face the Braves in Atlanta. Now, the Braves kill high fastballs. So that'll be a real test for Miller to see how he gets, how he does one against a lethal lineup like that, but two, a team that thrives on hitting high fastballs. And how would he adjust against that? If a team's actually starting to square up his fastball, because as we said, no one squared up his fastball. So he had no reason to go away from it. What if guys start put a barrel or two on his fastball? How is he going to adjust to that? So here's some stuff numbers on his other pitches, Lyle. So they they met this this blurb here mentions you know he's throwing his fastball seventy percent of the time, but Fangraph Stuff Plus has his sweeper, which again is more of his loopy breaking, uh, which I believe it was named the Cannonball Slider, has one hundred nineteen Stuff Plus, like well above average. His first his cutter slider, which is like the the shorter tighter break that Chef talked about last week. Go check out episode twenty seven with Matt Scheffler last week. Talked a little bit about these two pitches. His shorter sliders at a 114 stuff plus. Those are both quality above average secondary pitches. His changeups at 138, but he only threw two of them. So I don't think that's quite uh, quite a good measuring stick there. But his two sliders both measure as decently above average to go along with a, a 130, 137, 135. I wrote it down here. I think it was... Um, uh, his no, sorry, one thirty-seven stuff plus on his fastball. So you have a, a one thirty-seven fastball, and then a one fourteen short slider and a one nineteen sweeper. That's quality stuff from Bryce Miller, and makes you think. Yeah, okay. So the in terms of pure stuff, the the secondary stuff is, for, is there. For those who don't know what Stuff Plus is, it basically just measures how nasty your stuff is. Chris Langan talked about it with us a while back. That's another interview you can check out. But it's measured in the same way that WRC Plus is or OPS Plus in the sense that 100 is league average. Anything above that is percentile above or below that's percentile below. So TJ just mentioned his fastball has 
stuff plus rate of 137. So he's 37% above league average with his fastball and he's above average with the other pitches too. So that signals that this stuff will play at the big league level. We've seen it through two starts and it seems like at least to some extent, it's going to be pretty efficient as time goes on too. Okay. Can I, can I throw Oh, go ahead. I'll, I'll let you go, and then I'll throw this. I up. was going to say one last thing from the blurb. They did note that he wasn't really getting many swings and misses on a secondary, which we could see. They this blurb did note that his arm angle was changing a little bit with his breaking balls, which definitely like big league hitters will pick up on that right away, and they know what's coming. So, it, it, that's more of a tunneling issue. Yeah, there will be hills and valleys in his rookie season. It's natural for rookie pitchers. I'm sure there will be starts where he gets hit around a decent amount. But you know what? I think what we've seen in his first two outings is we sat here on this podcast and talked about what are they going to do without Robbie Ray? Do they have to go make a trade elsewhere? Something like that. Well, again, we'll see how the rest of the year plays out. But it seems like Miller may just slot right in and pick up right where Robbie Ray left off because he's looked awesome. Okay, I've got to throw this one stat out there before we wrap up this Bryce Miller talk. You haven't by chance looked at his ERA plus, have you? Uh, it is a small sample. No, I no, no, no I know. And, and I was going to preface <laughs> it with that, that this is two starts and it has no chance to stay like this. Can I guess but it? Just, but just looking at it, I was going to ask you. Again, we're just having some fun early on. But it did pop up. It did pop out to me. So I'll let you guess. Five hundred and thirty-three. That's actually five hundred and close. Is it kind of close? Five seventy-seven. So you were still too low. Wow. And for those who don't know what ERA plus is, again, same thing we just talked about with stuff plus, with OPS plus, with WRC plus. This one measures how good of a pitcher you are. It takes a lot of things into account. Hundreds league average, anything above, percentile above, anything below, percentile below. So through two starts, Bryce Miller has been 477% better than the league average pitcher. Now, again, there is a negative percent chance that that stays anywhere near that number all year. It's not going to. But it's still fun to look at through two starts and say, oh, yeah, he's been that good so far. To be fair, he's only faced one big league lineup. Well, that's true. He basically faced a high A lineup in his debut against a crowd that was uh, three times smaller than what he was seeing in yeah. Double A. But so we did cash that in from last week. Where yes, there was absolutely no chance the crowd in Oakland was bigger than the one he was he faced in Arkansas the previous week. But point being, again, take the ERA plus thing with many many grains of salt. I just thought that was a fun thing to throw out through two starts, but. What it all concludes is you should be really excited about Bryce Miller going forward because he can make a real impact to this team. 100%. And, hey, I thought he was going to be in the bullpen. He throws two starts. I'm like, you know what? No, he shouldn't be in the bullpen. Just kidding. I was with you on that. And same thing. I have redacted that take very, very quick. And, hey, he likes Chipotle. He wants Chipotle in his wedding. Maybe that's the most important nugget of all. What are you putting on your plate at that wedding, Lyle, if you swung an invite? I mean, am I not just getting Chipotle? Am I not making a burrito wrap? Yeah, well, like, what are you putting on there? Oh, I honestly might go steak and, I mean, I was going to say steak and chicken combo. I don't think I'd combo it. I'd probably go steak. It's a wedding. Rice. Come on. What's that? It's a wedding. Lighten what? up a little bit. Oh, okay. So you're saying go steak and chicken in the in Yes. The okay. So steak, chicken, rice, 
pico, probably guac, lettuce, you know, all, all the good stuff, right? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Is that <laughs> yeah, what you're that getting? Sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's probably probably along the lines of what I'm getting. Yeah, there's no don't they don't charge you for guac at a wedding, think thankfully. No. So maybe Zach Greinke will be there. Ooh, I'd be down. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, we've got a cool interview coming up with Andrew Arudia. He is another longtime friend of mine. He's a couple years younger than we are. I went to high school with him, grew up playing baseball with him, known him forever. And he has created a really cool business of his own where he's now the creator of a cleats brand. And it's not just some cleats brand. Oh, in his spare time, he likes to kind of sit around, make some designs. No, he's designing cleats for professional athletes, including a ton of high caliber and high level major league baseball players. And it's all over his social media pages. So along with that, he's doing cleat stuff. He also painted a Julio Rodriguez mural this past weekend down at the City Connect event at Pike Place. He's a phenomenal artist. He did a great job on that. And we sat and talked with him about it because, look, we've had some great people on. We've loved all our guests. It's a little bit of a different perspective, but a pretty interesting one because we kind of get away from the usual media player side of things. I really enjoyed it. I wonder what he could... Is he going to make a mural of our of of uh, what do you think he's putting on your mural? He's painting one of you. Is he putting an gonna... L Dub logo on there? Oh, I wonder if he would. Well, maybe somewhere in the corner. Although I was going to say, if he made a Marine Layer podcast mural, I don't know if the purple would would fit in there. You need more. No, tealing. no, yeah. wouldn't. We put the Ballard Beaver logo in there though. Well, what color is that? Red. No, need so some putting... contrast. What, so you're putting red with teal and navy blue, but not purple? Mm, you can find a way to mix them in. Okay. Point being, Train, which is his nickname, Andrew, is a phenomenal artist. I mean, again, this is not just some random cleats company. He's got thousands of followers on social media. He's partnered with Stadium. He's done this for years now, and he's killing it. So we got to sit and talk with him about it. It was really cool. And we'll let you guys hear it. So with that, let's get to our interview with Andrew Arutia. All right. We welcome on Andrew Arutia. He's the creator of Train Kicks Cleats. He was also painting a Julio Rodriguez mural this weekend during Mariner's City Connect weekend. Train, it's great to have you on. For those who don't know, okay, that's your nickname is Train. Why don't you tell us, how did you get the nickname? Uh, I mean, man, you know... Uh, you and I both grew up in Kirkland playing baseball, and I'm sure you know Mike Wood. Uh, when I was when I was 11 in, in uh, Little League, I, I'm pretty sure Mike Wood gave me that uh, that nickname, uh, and it kind of just stuck ever since. So I guess it's been a uh, you know 12 years with the nickname, so you know just been rocking with it. I mean, I'll tell you what, I think everything happens for a reason, right? And look where the nickname's gotten you now, because I mean, Andrew Kicks might have worked, but Train Kicks, like that's a real name, dude. Yeah, and I think, you know, when when I first made the name and, you know, it goes for a lot of companies when you first make the name of the company, you know, sometimes it sounds stupid. You know, at first, train kick sounds stupid, but I think it's one of those things where you make the name. A name doesn't define you, and I think, I, you know, it goes for a lot of things. That's something you came around it. Yeah. That's something you came up with on your – did anyone, like, suggest, hey, that would actually be a good name for it? Or, did, no. like, did someone have to push you toward it or you you on your own were like, yeah, this is it? I think it was just kind of like – I don't know if it was a temporary name, but it was just, like, an easy, like, oh, like, my name's trained. Uh, like, my nickname is trained, and 
I'm going to try to sell shoes. So I'll call it kicks. So I just train kicks. Um, and then I just, uh, you know, I just kept that. Okay. So we want to get into your entire cleats brand here in just a couple minutes, but before we do that, you were just painting a Julio Rodriguez mural this weekend out at Pike Place for Mariner City Connect weekend. You were brought on and hired to do that. Can you take us through some of the weekend? Well, first off, I mean, how did they find you and how did they bring you on to do this event? So they, they reached out to me a week and a half before the event. And basically it was the, the Mariners like um, director of marketing and special events, you know, reached out saying that um, I had been recommended to the Mariners by uh, a former vice president of, uh, of marketing for the Mariners, who um, is my neighbor. His name is Bill Knutson. He, uh, you know, we've been really good friends, you know, my whole life growing up there in that neighborhood. Um, so he, he actually reached out to the Mariners a few months ago, recommending me. He sent them a lot of my work. Um, so they kind of reviewed that. And leading up to the event, um, you know, Fanatics reached out to the Mariners and they, they said, hey, you know, we, we typically have a live artist or muralist in every city do you guys know of anyone you could bring in and um you know luckily it was great timing with you know my neighbor recommending me because you know the the director of marketing for the mariners right now said hey yeah we have we have a guy in mind who you know does this type of work and at that point um they reached out to me and so i was super you know excited to see that email for sure you can go check out the piece i believe it's on your instagram right andrew.u you can go yes. see at least a little little snippet of it. It's a it's a really cool piece of art, and I gotta say, I mean, there's some pressure there because there's some pretty high profile Mariners there, you know, around you watching you paint that. And obviously, for a mural like this, you get like you get one chance to paint it, and you absolutely nailed it. That thing is that thing is awesome. Is there anywhere where people can get like a super clear visual of it and see actually like the full painting of what you what you did? Yeah, I was planning to post it today on my um on my art account, uh, Train Kicks. Um, but yeah, thank you, thank you for that. Yeah, it, it was it was a super um, stressful week leading up to it because um, you know, I there's there's some things I didn't really like express to the Mariners. You know, I kind of just said yes, I'll do it. But there's some things I I've never done before. I've never painted on canvas. Um, I've never painted live in front of people. You know, with a very small time constraint. Um, and then, you know, I had to use a specific type of paint because we were on the water and, you know, there's some environmental issues or whatever. Um, so there's just a lot of factors that made it really tough and challenging on me. And on top of that, you know, having to paint a realistic, uh, portrait of Julio is, you know, something else I had to worry about in terms of like, you know, laying that out. Cause it's hard to get proportions, right. Especially when, you know, people are, are standing behind you the whole time. But, um, you know, in, in the actual moment, it, there actually, it, I didn't feel any stress because, you know, I felt right, like right back in the zone, you know, I think it was just overthinking the whole week, but um, it, it was super fun having, you know, uh, you know, Mariners executives, root sports people, fanatics people, as well as just all the Mariners fans that came through um, to kind of like stop by, and, you know, talk to me for a little bit. Uh, it, it was a really fun experience for sure. How much pre-planning goes into something like this? Um. So, like I said, like I've never um, done something like this, like a live portrait on canvas. So, I'd say the next time I do this, there'll be a lot less planning. But I will say that I spent maybe like eight hours in total on Photoshop. Um, I spent, you know, maybe like four or five hours, um, you know, getting materials and supplies together. I, I had to build my own easel. Um, put the canvas together, uh, you know, buy all the stuff. So maybe like 15 hours of, of prep. And then the actual work, uh, the actual painting was five hours. 
Um, but yeah, it, it definitely was a long time. But you know, as, as you go on and do things more times, you know, that you can you can cut down the prep time for sure. Here's the real question: Did you have any hecklers out at Pike Place this weekend? <laughs> well, uh, luckily, I, I was able to have uh, close to like it was around twenty. 20 friends and family members that came out to see me and I did have um, a couple a couple boys come out and you know during the early stage of it when it was just the yellow uh, outline of the portrait and they they started laughing and clowning on me saying it looks like Jordan Poole on the on the Warriors (laughs) it did it it looked like Jordan Poole for a little bit but I told them hey come back in an hour and then and then we'll be rocking with Julio here's the follow-up to that is I saw at the end, you're splashing the white dots on the end of the painting, like around the Julio piece. Is there any pressure when you're doing that where you're like, okay, I better not spill this white paint on Julio. I've got to get it right in the right spot. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's some like sequences and moments where, you know, it's, you can't mess it up because you got like one shot. Um, that one, that you know, the paint splatter part was is not too bad because you know if I if I actually mess it up badly, I can just paint over it with blue, mm-hmm. um, which is a nice thing about canvas. Like the thing about shoes is that shoes are way harder to paint, like way way harder. So like if I did this on a pair of shoes, it might have taken like eight hours instead because um, there's certain things that you can't undo on shoes, like painting on fabric. You can't take like blue paint off a of white fabric. Think that there's a little more pressure with shoes on canvas. It it, it wasn't much pressure in terms of making a mistake that you can't fix. Um, it was pretty, pretty chill in that, in that sense. So I think what you're telling us is that all-star week rolls around you're painting a mural somewhere. And I mean, I, I don't want to talk too soon, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm hoping that the Mariners can, uh, reach out again for that. Well, <laughs> like what's the scale? Like what scale do you think you'd be comfortable doing? If like, actually, cause like that's something that's probably going to happen when all-star week rolls around. It's some, there are going to be some unique things, all-star related things that are going to pop up around the city. And you know, it might be you wanting to, they want to paint a 20 foot wall of, of Julio <laughs> or Jared or whoever makes the all-star team or both. Right. And, and that could be you and you could be painting someone who's four times as large as you. Yeah. So, um, so MLB will be putting on that event. So, so like fanatics put on this event and, what they've always, what Fanatics has always done for the City Connect events is pretty much the same, roughly the same size canvas, uh, with an artist doing a like a similar type of you know City Connect thing. What MLB usually does during All Star Week is uh, they actually bring in a, a couple like shoe customizers to like customize cleats live at uh, MLB Park. Um, you know what I'm talking about? How uh, they're gonna mm-hmm. kind of create a whole area for activities and um, I, yeah. So they I think it'll be have, the convention center. Yeah, yeah. So they usually have um, a couple artists painting live custom cleats, and I, um, I have not, uh, I've not been invited in the past to do that. They've kind of usually had their own. I, I don't, I don't really know how they've found people, but I'm hoping that when they come here, maybe I could uh, try to squeeze my way in. Um, you know, saying I'm, I'm a local artist, and you know, a local customizer might be good for the event. I don't, we'll see. We really don't know yet. You know what, Train? I'll tell you this. If you get invited to paint something for All-Star Week, you can let us know. We'll come around with our phone and our mic or whatever, and, and, and we'll Follow and we'll <laughs> gas you up and support you or, or whatever. So at the very least, you'll have a couple people there that'll be promoting your work and, and kind of getting the ball rolling for you. Yeah. So then, hey, maybe more people kind of flock over. Um, hopefully we have a little bit of 
social media poll by that time where we can get some people over to your stuff. But yeah, if you get if you get invited to paint something during All Star Week, that'd be awesome. Um, so let's keep our fingers crossed for that, right? Yeah, it'd be super cool. Uh, I'm I'm definitely gonna make a, a bunch of cleats for for players for that for that uh, for All Star Week too. Um, but yeah, that, that's a little different because that's kind of just doing it in my own space and then delivering at the hotel or whatever. Um, but yeah, live, live art would be pretty, would be pretty, pretty sick to do. So let's get into your cleats brand a little bit here. Train kicks, which if you think, if you're a listener and and you're sitting here thinking, oh, we're just having some guy on who likes to design some cleats for fun. No, like Andrew's got a huge following. If you go on his social media page, you'll see he has thousands of followers. He's sponsored by stadium. He makes them for handfuls and handfuls of MLB players. And his art is awesome. So let's take it all the way back to when this thing started. What inspired you to start this whole thing? Um, so, uh, you know, uh, me and Lyle went to the same high school. So uh, Lake Washington High School in Kirkland, we both played for the Kangs. And uh, I, I guess my junior year, I was really excited to get out there. And I also kind of saw on social media, that you know, the custom cleats were a thing. It was starting to be a thing at that time. And I thought like, hey, like, what if I bought, you know, a pair of Jordans and painted them purple? for for our school and so i did that you know i thought it would be crazy uh and you know i started making more and more pairs for myself i did some for teammates and then for guys and other teams uh and then i guess slowly over over the course of two years i i was able to reach out to um the mariners on social media i actually reached out to all the players on the roster at that time in 2019 i got seven players to respond and then i closed the deal with three players Uh, it was domingo santana matt mcgill and Brandon Brennan, who uh, ended up ordering at that time. So those were my those were my first uh, major league clients. I consider Domingo Santana my first, very first client. But that that was that was surreal, um, being able to to work with the Mariners at that time. And then you know yeah, ever since uh, kind of just been uh keeping it going, you know, meeting new players and and doing some projects for them. Okay, so, so if people still aren't sold on you here, if people still aren't sold on your cleats brand. You've got a trip planned this week. Why don't you tell people a little bit about what you've got happening this weekend? Oh, man. Yeah, so the plan is that um, – uh, so Miguel Cabrera ordered ordered uh, eight pairs of cleats from me. And um, the plan is that I, I, I'm supposed to receive them today. Uh, but I'm going to paint maybe a couple pairs by Friday. And on Friday, uh, me and my friend are going to fly to Detroit and um, through through stadium custom kicks, we can actually get uh, you know some media passes. So we'll kind of uh, hopefully you know get on the field and everything, meet Miggy. Um, it, it should be it should be a fun weekend because you know for me and for a lot of other baseball fans, I'm sure Miggy's a you know a staple of your of your childhood you know baseball fandom. So uh, yeah, he, he's a legend. So I, I can't even I, I feel like I'll be at a loss for words you know if I if I see him in person. Can you take us behind the scenes and just tell our listeners how long does it take to truly customize a pair of cleats? I mean, where like where do you start? Like how are you how are you ordering these cleats in? And then what like what kind of like you probably have a, a parameter of what design you're going to go off of based on what the player wants. But how do like how's the process of getting that stuff on the cleat in the way they want in the way you think to, is a good job? Yeah, it's actually. I'll try to run through it as fast as I can, but yeah, it is a very intricate and and uh, complicated uh, 
you know, process for a lot of people to understand. It's such a niche industry. It's, it's kind of like a weird little thing. Like I'm like, no, I'm not selling cleats. I'm selling a service, but so here's how it usually goes. You know, we'll, st- we'll be talking with the client and then, you know, they'll be saying like what shoe model they need. And then we might make some mock-ups and we will basically figure out the design. And then at that point they place an order and either they'll send, they'll ship the cleats to me or um, I can order the cleats for them and then just add the, the cost of the cleats to what they pay me. Um, and so, yeah, at that point I'll get the cleats in my hands. Um, they'll generally take between five to 10 hours. It, it's a pretty big range, but it depends on the design. Um, but yeah, so I'll have the cleats. And the reason that this is such a, it's, it's like a hard thing to do. You don't see as many customizers out there because, because it's hard to make the paint not crack off. And, um, and so for six years, I've really you know, developed a refined process of making it durable so guys can wear multiple games and it lasts long. Um, um, so basically, I'll go through my prep process um, of basically stripping down the cleats, sanding them, doing whatever I need to do with you know, chemicals and all that uh, for an hour or two. And then you know, I'll get it taped up, masking tape, and then you know, start painting it, whatever design. And then, you know, it, it depends on what the design is, you know, it'll take, it'll take a few hours. And then once that, all, once that's all done, um, take all the scraps off, put the laces back on, spray finisher, pack it back up, uh, take pictures and then send it back out to the client. So yeah, that whole process will take like five to 10 hours. And these cleats are not meant to last longer than a few games. No, no, they, they can last a really long time, but. Oh, um, that's good. I, yeah, yeah, at the same like I've had players like wear them like like almost every game. But uh, uh, the thing about custom cleats is they'll never last as long as as the factory as a as just a regular cleat. It, it can't because there's a there's a there's a layer of paint over it. Like it's just not physically possible for that to be more durable. But my job is to make it as durable as possible. And uh, you know, if you uh, I guess you if you watch the Mariners this season, um, Jared Kalanick probably in and probably more than half the games has been wearing, wearing my cleats. And so whenever you see him wearing uh, Jordan one cleats, um, those are made by me. He's got four pairs. He's got an all Navy pair. He's got a, he's got the Sunday pair, which is, seems to be everybody's favorite. It's um it's a uh, cream, yellow, and, and blue. Um, he's got a white pair and a gray pair, but those, you know, I've been looking at pictures and videos that those seem to be holding up really well. And, and as you can see, you know, he wears them multiple days and, and they still um, look fine. Uh, there might be a tiny paint cracking here and there, but you can't see that on TV. Okay, you bring up Jared Kelnick. I always knew you were good at designing cleats, and I know I knew you had made some for a handful of players over the years. The first time I realized that your whole brand was totally blowing up, aside from having a good social media following and all, was so Jared Kelnick for a while was making a lot of YouTube videos. And he was trying to give people a little bit of a peek behind the scenes about his life. And he made a video right before he debuted. And in the video, his whole group of people, they drive up to a house, they get a box, they then go back to his apartment, they open it up, and they had gotten him a gift right before his debut. And it's these just sick teal and navy blue cleats. It's got his number 10 on it. It's got his Waukesha area code on it. It's got all this cool design. And then I see, I look a little closer and I realize, oh, those are trains cleats. Like you made those. And everybody was tweeting them out that day. I remember of his debut. I mean, it blew up on social media. What was your reaction to how everybody else kind of reacted to those cleats? 
Yeah, it got a ton of social media. You know, both MLB and Mariners both both posted those. You know, on their Instagram and Twitter. Uh, the Mariners actually made a whole art. They wrote a whole article about just the cleats, and uh, so that was crazy. All that all that attention. Uh, but in terms of in terms of making the cleats, um, you know, he was the top prospect at the time. And as a Mariners fan, I was so so excited um, to make cleats. You know, for the biggest prospect we've had in you know 15 years or so. And so I, I those are one of my favorite cleats. And I put in, I, if I remember correctly, like 15 or 16 hours. Not that it needed that many hours, but I just wanted to make sure these were perfect. Every square millimeter had to be perfect. So you know, I went and did that. Um, so it was his girlfriend that placed the order for the cleats. Um, so yeah, when she came to pick him up, um, I was unaware that he that he was in the car until I saw the YouTube video. Um, and at that point, I was, you know, I was, it was it was cool that you know he. I guess Jared Kelnick technically came to my house, but um, yeah, never, never really met him though. Um, maybe one day. <laughs> Were those your favorite cleats you've ever made, or do you have another pair that really sticks out? Oh, it's it's so hard because I made like four or five hundred pairs at this point, but um, those are those are definitely in the top five. Yeah, it could. Be, it it could be my favorite. I'd have to really look back through some, but it's definitely top five. I feel like his reaction has to play a part to it too, because you obviously mm-hmm. watched the YouTube video, and when he pulls those cleats out of the box, he's fist pumping, he's talking about how sick they are, he's like, those are so clean, dude, or, or whatever his exact words were. I mean, I feel like his reaction has to play some part in that, right, along with the fact that you did a great job with the design. Yeah, it always feels so good when you see like a like a video of a of a guy's reaction, or even better if, if uh, you see a live reaction and and you know you can really tell that they're um, that they really like the cleats that they ordered because it means you know they'll probably order again maybe. So um, yeah, yeah, it's great to see reactions, but I guess um, I guess you get a little little tone deaf at at times. The longer you go, um, you know, you're a little less starstruck. Still super appreciative. Um, of, you know, all these guys coming, but it's not as, um, it's not as stressful, I guess. Just like the painting thing, you know, the first pair for Domingo Santana, super, super, extremely stressful. Um, but you know, the, the more you guys you work with, it's just, uh, it's another project and you're just trying to do your best work for them. Who else on the Mariners should people look out for to see some of your other work? Um, Dylan Moore's coming back from injury. I just made him five pairs. He'll be rocking those. Um, to be honest, I, I don't, I don't do as many cleats as I as I used to a couple of years ago because I'm in the heat of my senior year of college. But uh, yeah, it's there might probably by the end of the season I'll have like maybe like four or five players that'll probably have my cleats on occasion. But um, I guess in total, I, I I think I've I've done cleats for around twenty to twenty five Mariners in the past four years. Uh, which has been just so, so incredible as, as a Mariners fan, you know, a Mariners fan above everything. So those, those clients do mean a little more to me than, than some of the other guys, unfortunately. I uh, hate to be biased, but I, I have to be, you know, staying true to the blue here. We're on, we're on the marine layer pod, man. <laughs> we're biased. We're the, we're the hosts of the podcast. Oh, we're yeah. biased all the time. It's a Mariners podcast. You can be biased all you want. Yeah, no, I I, I will not hide it. I am a Mariners fan to the core. As are we. I mean, we look, look, we try to be impartial, er, impartial, I should say, but we're all Mariners fans here. So I can't blame you for like 
get more excited for these Mariners guys getting excited about your cleats. It's only natural, especially when you grew up a fan. If I've got one last question for you here as we start to wrap this up, I know as you're graduating, you never know what your life's going to kind of hold going forward. But in a perfect world for you, what do you want to continue to do with Train Kicks and with your whole cleats brand if you wanted to keep growing it? Yeah, in a perfect world, uh, I want to, you know, keep doing keep doing cleats, obviously, but kind of kind of see if I can kind of build something, you know, bigger off that. And I think I think doing murals and canvas paintings and stuff like that, you know, some some live art painting events, you know, that could be a great avenue to to pick up because you know that that actually makes a lot more money uh, than cleats. Sometimes, you know, if you're if you're working with a big uh, you know, big corporation, you know, the, the invoice will be, will be pretty large usually. Um, so yeah, in a perfect world, kind of, kind of just trying to build off, off the cleats, you know, in a way, but still staying within the scope of, um, you know, sports and all that. Well, we can't wait to see what you continue to do with it because I've been a fan of your work forever and not just because we're friends, because genuinely all your designs are really cool. Clearly players think the same thing. So, Train, we appreciate you hopping on with us today. Uh, this has been awesome. It's really cool to get a little bit of a different perspective of somebody here on the show. We've had a bunch of media people on, but to do what you're doing is pretty awesome. And we can't wait to see you keep doing it. And, hey, let us know if anything happens during All-Star Week because I would love to stop by and see it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Lyle and TJ. Like, this is, um, I actually um, I have been listening to this podcast while painting cleats, like all of Dylan Moore's cleats. I painted while listening to this podcast and even before I was listening before I even told Lyle that I, I told Lyle that like less than a week ago, like, Oh, Hey, um, I've been listening to podcasts recently and it's really good. Um, but yeah, so you guys got to keep up the good work. This, this is sick. And I, I'm, I'm sure you guys are both going to go far. We appreciate it, but I'm glad you could also draw the Dylan Moore inspiration right out of Lyle's voice and put it into the cleats. So yeah, he's proud. Yeah, yeah, Train. I, I don't know if I've told you, I'm like the world's biggest Dylan Moore fan. So to hear yeah. that, that's full circle right there. Oh yeah. Also, I want to say you guys have some of the best breakdowns of, of the analytics and like pulling out the stats that actually matter and the the stats that that can kind of sway people's opinions on players. I think that that is that is really sick. You guys got to keep that up. Well, we appreciate it, Train. We're gonna do our best, and we know you're gonna keep doing your best. We can't wa- we can't wait to watch you keep killing it. Awesome. All right. Well, appreciate you having me. All right, that was a great conversation with Andrew Arudia, the owner of Train Kicks. The, just some awesome designs. Really appreciate Lyle making that connection and really a different perspective from what we've had on this podcast before. Uh, able to hear a bit of what, what he does in connection to the Mariners and the city of, the, of Seattle. It's great stuff. Again, you want to go find more of his stuff, you can go look at his Instagram at Train Kicks. He's got a lot of his work on there. Okay, Lyle, let's go down on the farm. All right, Lyle, what are you looking at this week? There's been a couple of promotions, which is much earlier than it was last year. If you go back to 2022, the Mariners were pretty cautious with a lot of their call-ups. It was much later in the season they started to bring guys up. Now here we are sitting in early May. They've made promotions, and probably the most notable one, Jonathan Classe is going up to double-A. And you're talking about a guy that is 20 years old. He's not even 21. He crushed the Northwest League in Everett. He's getting the call-up. Juan Mercedes is getting the call-up to double-A. Right-handed pitcher, also pitcher 
Jorge Benitez is getting up, called up to double A. Steven Kolek is going from double A to triple A. So it's not like it was just one guy. I mean, they're making some real promotion through the system this week. And probably the most notable one being Class A, getting the call at just 20 years old to go to double A. Have we given the context yet of which other uh, under 21 year olds have played significant time in double A? Have we said, did we say that last week? I think it's just Julio and Jared, if I'm if I'm remembering right. Or well, was Jared and Tyler O'Neill and Tyler O'Neill and O'Neill. Okay, I was gonna say Jared was 19 in Double A in 2019. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was so, just those, just those three guys. Three big leaguers. Three big leaguers, and then Class A. It's pretty cool. And that means they've got a lot of faith in them. So. What Class A turns into moving forward, we don't know. But like we talked about on the last show when we highlighted him, the Mariners are pretty high on this guy, and he's probably got a chance to be a top 100 prospect next year if he really hits the ground running in Double A. I'm going to pick another young guy in the system, part of really this young wave of batch. Gabby Gonzalez, uh, now two levels down from Class A, down in Low A Modesto, but he's the number seven prospect on the Mariners' top 30. And he's really gotten off to a really hot start this year. Besides the fact he's, you know, he's hitting for a good average and he's he's slugging a decent amount as well. This dude just really does not strike out as well, which is a really good trade after looking at the Mariners lineup the last uh, few weeks. Having a guy in your system who, who strikes out is striking out 12% of the time this year at the lower levels of the minors. He's controlling the strike zone well. Doesn't walk a whole bunch, but he stri- uh, he does not strike out. Hits the ball pretty hard, sprays it around the yard and is really a speedy toolsy outfielder that I know like our friend Jeremy's Works in the Mariners system is is a huge fan of this guy. Thinks he's a stud, and he's uh, he's having a good week and a good season overall as well. For those maybe not familiar with strikeout rates, like the back of their hand, twelve percent is really low. You're not going to see many players striking out at a twelve percent clip. Gavin Gonzalez is doing it though. Guy makes a ton of contact. People love his power. I think the question with him is just going to be: Can he stick in the outfield? And can he find a position for himself long-term? Because if he can, that's a bat to dream on. A 19-year-old kid who's crushing it in Modesto and has middle-of-the-order potential. Here's this group he's along with. We're talking about the the young group of Mariners bats. It's it's him, it's uh, it's Gabby Gonzalez, it's Harry Ford, it's Cole Young, and then Jonathan Classe. That, like, that's the group you want to pay attention as. Hey, the, like this is a very young group of hitters, but man, the upside of those guys, and we've talked about now, I think we've covered all of them here in our segments doing on the farm since the season started. We've covered all of them, and they're all, you know, they're all off to really good starts, is what the Mariners really like to see because above them, there's not much, there's no bats, there's no bats above them. So they are, they're what the Mariners are relying upon, uh, and it's really good to see you know, all those guys going off to start the season uh, and showcasing all those tools. All, all very different, too. All, all very different flavors of hitter, but it's still uh, very impressive to see. And there's probably another wave of bats even behind those guys. Lazaro Montez, Felnin Celestin, maybe Michael Arroyo. But you're right. The, the next real wave of bats are the four guys you just highlighted because they may be a ways away, but they're going to be reinforcements that the Mariners rely on down the road here in two, three, four years. So just to reiterate what you said, if you're a Mariners fan, Pay attention to the guys in the minors and keep tabs on those hitters. It's worth it because they're going to keep shining all year. Pay attention to them, but they like these guys, like they're good enough where they could honestly get traded. Like the Mariners will be buyers at this deadline. 
I, I would be shocked if all four of those guys are in the system at the end of the year. I, I would be. Unfor- as unfortunate as it is, like we want all those guys to succeed. It, I have a tough time seeing all four of those guys staying unless they're, you know, that they would probably feel more comfortable dealing some of the pitching they have, which would be a little bit more valuable uh, or sorry, a little, little more comfortable ga- giving those guys away a little bit farther away from the big leagues than some of the more immediate help arms that they have higher in the minors. So just a warning, just a warning, temper, temper yourself. That's probably right, especially if the Mariners go out and get somebody with real impact. But still, keep an eye on them because, hey, if you're if you're somebody that's circling a couple of impact bats somewhere across baseball saying, hey, the Mariners should go target those guys. Well, then these guys playing well has an impact on that. So just keep some notes. That's all we're saying. Keep some notes. Okay, let's get to our MLB wraparound here. topic, the Cardinals, TJ, the St. Louis Cardinals, one of the sturdiest franchises in baseball, one of the most historic franchises in baseball. They're not playing like it these days. They have been scuffling, and that's an understatement. I believe they're playing right now as we're recording this on a Monday, but they are, as of now, with it, with today's outcome, not final yet. They are 11 and 24. They are three games worse than the next closest team in the National League. They're not as bad as the Royals. They're not as bad as the A's, but they're pretty bad. And there's this pretty stark difference between the A's, the Royals, and the Cardinals. We're pretty sure the Royals and A's would not be great. Like the Cardinals are supposed to win arguably the softest division in baseball, the, the one that probably invests the least amount of money in player capital, the one that you could argue it's like, well, just not like, don't know if I trust all these organizations in here except for the Cardinals. And the Redbirds have been just awful. They have been bad in in a number of ways. They're 23rd in ERA. They're the worst base running team in baseball. Nolan Arenado has been ice cold. And maybe the biggest story, Lyle, to come out this week is that they signed prize catcher Wilson Contreras to a five-year, $87.5 million deal this offseason to replace Yadier Molina. It took him a little over 30 games for them to say, yeah, you're not catching for us anymore. 30 games! Well, in what world are you signing a guy that's tabbed as a premier catcher to a five-year deal and then saying, yeah, go play the outfield? Look, I know the main reason they signed him is for his bat, but you know what? He has a good arm. He might not be an elite glove or an elite framer, but he's serviceable back there. There were certainly never any problems with him in Chicago. Now you have all these guys complaining about his catching. You've got the Cardinals trying to make him play a new position on the fly. I mean, what is going on? These guys are usually on top of everything. They had a summit for his for his position change. Listen to this tweet from today. Wilson Contreras said Adam Wainwright and Jack Flaherty were part of a recent uh, part of recent discussions regarding his position shift. He didn't elaborate on what was said during the summit with the front office, coaches, pitchers, and himself. Like you've got to be kidding me here. Like first, like I get Adam Wainwright's like like a legacy guy, but at this point of your career, you can't be having like your pitchers, like, I you can't have it. Like that's just kind of kind of absurd. It it, it seems like the pitchers were com- doing some complaining with Wilson Contreras behind the plate. He's not a great framer, but he's like by the numbers an above average catcher for his career. He's plus nine defensive runs saved for his career behind the plate. Like there is good in there. Maybe it won't be great in the future. But I have a hard time believing 
he is the sole purpose that Cardinals pitchers have been horrible this year. Who else did they want? They signed the top catcher on the market. Contreras is a bona fide star at the position. These guys are talking about, well, when Yachty was here, we did it differently. Great. Yachty's a legend. He's also retired. He hung it up. He was done with his career, and he had a really good one at that. But there's not many better options out there than Wilson Contreras. Like, I don't know what these Cardinals pitchers want instead. I don't get, like, how do you not, you can't blame your pitching struggles on a retired catcher leaving. Like, what does that say about your development and your organiza- your organizational pitching philosophy if one player can send your whole pitching staff off the rails? Incredible. It, here's here's another th- here's another thing for the the Cardinals, the front office to chew on. I mean, are we really expect like now that you like look at this rotation, are you like kind of shocked that a rotation of Miles Michaelis, Jack Flaherty, who by the way has now not been good in about four years, uh, Adam Wainwright, Stephen Matz, and Jake Woodford are underperforming? Are like are we surprised? Their best arm's been Jordan Montgomery, and he's actually been good. That trade so far for the Cardinals is working out. The rest of the staff is not. I'm going to be honest. I liked what the Cardinals were putting out in their rotation on paper when the season started. I guess, look, it's been a long time since Flaherty's been good. You're right. I also just think the pure talent and stuff that he has when he's at the top of his game is peak stuff. And I bought that he was now healthy, and maybe I'm not saying he was going to go win a Cy Young, but I did think he could have a really good season. Michaelis has been pretty sturdy a lot of his career. Again, Montgomery's been good. I thought they would be perfectly serviceable. Well, I was wrong. They have not been like at it's, all. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a disaster. And I was trying to find the quote before we started recording. I I couldn't I, I couldn't find it. But like Jack Flaherty got to the point where he was complaining that they were that the pitches called with two strikes by Wilson Contreras was all his fault and he had no control over like what to throw with two strikes, which I think is total bogus because you know what happens when a pitcher gets a pitch that he can't, he, he doesn't like and doesn't want to throw with two strikes. You know what you do? You shake him off. <laughs> you, you say no, you say no and you throw what you want, but apparently that's too hard. So I don't know. I guess it's all Wilson Contreras' fault that, you know, they don't want to shake anyone off. Who knows? It it's just it's so puzzling. The the fact that the Pirates, who we entering the season thought was probably a bottom three organization in baseball, have turned around and and stacked a ten game lead on on the Cardinals through a month. It's absurd. I don't know if this Cardinals or sorry, I don't know if this Pirates success is going to last. But the fact that they've made up or not made up created ten games of space on St. Louis. There's not a bet in the world that had that before the season started. Also, like I mentioned it quickly at the beginning, like where's Nolan? What's he doing? He's got a 70 OPS plus. What is going on? Look, I know there's guys out there off to slow starts. This guy's done nothing but play both sides of the ball at an elite, elite level throughout his career. He has mashed the ball every single season. And he has played elite defense every single season. He's not hitting right now. And that's something that this team banks on. If he's not hitting, of course they're not going to go anywhere. Savant Page stinks too. It's not like he's getting unlucky. He's just been, he's been bad. There's a lot of blue on his Savant Page. Lyle likes to say on a good Savant Page, it looks like a nice glass of red Kool-Aid. Nolan Arenado's looks like a glass of blue Kool-Aid. 
And if that's the case, that's not the territory you want to be in. Like there's, there's nothing positive to, to take out of that. None at all. Okay. Second storyline here, Bryce Harper's back and he's back in the blink of an eye for the Tommy John surgery that he just had. Here we are in early May, way ahead of the timeline. He's back on the field and he's back to being Bryce Harper in just five games. What's really incredible. Did you know that this is the fastest a player has ever recovered from Tommy John surgery ever 160 days. So I thought Shohei missed a little bit less time than this because when he got his Tommy John surgery, they had to shut him down from pitching, but he was still DHing. But he missed more time than Harper. Harper's time away from baseball and off the field was less than Otani's. That's mm-hmm. pretty crazy. The, the dude is a cyborg. Yeah. 160 days. Uh, the He broke the record. Tony Womack had the record 182 days. Jay Buhner, shout out, 207 days. Carl Crawford, 221 days. Those are all position players. It's not physically possible for a pitcher to come back from Tommy John surgery in 160 days. But Bryce Harper is a position player. I think they're going to try and move him to first base when he gets a little bit healthier with his elbow and doesn't have to throw quite as much. Well, Reese Hoskins is out for the season, so they kind of need a first baseman. They haven't gotten a whole lot of production from first base in general. So if Bryce can slide into that spot, they can – you know, filled the DH spot with something else. But it's good that he's back because the Phillies have been kind of mediocre. And, you know, I, as much as their postseason run was fun last year, I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of Bryce magic sprinkled in there and a lot of, a lot of fortune to go along with the, the World Series run. At the time of recording this, they're 16 and 19. So if they want to make another run again, and I'm not sure they will, because again, it's an older team. Like, we'll just see if it clicks for the second year in a row. We'll see if the pitching holds up, especially in the rotation again. But if they want to do something like that again, they need Bryce Harper. And they need Bryce Harper to be Bryce Harper. So the fact that he only missed a month of time is a blessing beyond belief for the Phillies. There's some optimism, too. I mean, you like, Bryce is already hitting pretty well. And there's some optimism that his... His injury is not going to prevent him from hitting well. You used the Shohei Otani example. So Shohei in 2018 to 2019, he took 218 days to recover from Tommy John surgery. He came back in 2019 and had a pretty typical Shohei year. He slugged 500. He hit 283, got on base 40, uh, 34% of the time, uh, hit 18 home runs. Like it's all there. But like the, it's, there's not, I guess, there's not a, a thought that the uh, Tommy John will uh, will prevent him from being able to be a good hitter, and also in a left-handed swing, the front elbow, which which is the one Bryce hurt, the it requires less, a little bit less torque and a less stress on the on the on the UCL. So that that leads to a little bit more promising for Bryce, but it's going to be exciting to see. I've, me and you have mentioned this, but like we both come 180 degrees around on Bryce Harper throughout his career. It, his walk year was awful. There were some times the Nationals, he was just so maddeningly inconsistent. But when he's been a Philly, he's been worth every dime of that contract. Doesn't matter he's missed time with Tommy John surgery. Like stuff like this shows he really fucking cares about playing baseball and really cares about winning. So that's why he decided to come back so clearly. I mean, he he blew off a rehab assignment to just come back and play for the Phillies. When Bryce Harper signed that contract back in 2019, I don't think there was anybody out there less of a proponent for it than me. I thought that if a team was smart, they should give Harper like a three, four year deal, 
for 20 to 25 million a year. Cause again, he'd come off a season where he put up less than two wins above replacement. His defense wasn't good. He'd been inconsistent at times. Like he had the one huge season in 2015, but after that, there was a lot of what if in his career. Well, I've done a full 180 on that. You fast forward to now, my opinion on him has totally changed. If he retired today, he's he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. He's a Hall of Famer already. Mm-hmm. And he's only going to keep adding to that career as his time goes on in Philly. And the dude's one of the best hitters in baseball. So, yeah. Like, I, I, I had my time where maybe you could call it a hot take. You could call it a lukewarm take where I said, eh, I wasn't all that sold on Bryce Harper at a point in his career. Yeah, that's out the window now. Let's move on to our third storyline here in the MLB wraparound. Luis Garcia, who famously pitched the final five innings of that memorable 18-inning game at T-Mobile Park last October, is on the shelf. He's going to have Tommy John surgery exited last Monday's game with elbow discomfort after only eight pitches. And the Astros announced on Friday that he will miss the rest of the 2023 season with Tommy John surgery. And they hope he's going to be back for the 2024 season. Pretty good stalwart in that Astros rotation. They will no longer have. And hear this, Lyle. It's, he's not the only one out at the Astros rotation. Forrest Whitley he got his last start, start skipped. He's down in, in AAA with the Astros. Urquidy has shoulder discomfort. He's on the shelf. Lance McCullers has a forearm strain. He's on the shelf as well. This Astros rotation is thinning out quickly. When they were going down the stretch last year of the World Series, it kept saying nobody can match their depth. Well, that depth is gone. It is 1000% gone. Garcia was what their seventh starter last year, either their sixth or seventh guy. Uh, yeah, he, I think he was Javier was, yeah, if Javier was six, then <laughs> Garcia was, was seven. Oh, I think Javier was even pushed up further than that. Cause I was thinking of Urquidy and Garcia as the six and seven guys. I think they had even more before that. Or maybe it was five and six. So point being, we're just we're just getting into the like the nitty gritty numbers here and the details. But point being, the Astros' depth last year in their rotation was absolutely unmatched and basically like nothing we'd ever seen. It's not like that right now. You lose Justin Verlander to the Mets. You have all the injuries that TJ just outlined. There's a reason the Astros are hovering by right around 500 these days. They just don't have the depth on the field right now. And it's showing because they're they're not playing elite baseball. And another thing for this this Astros rotation, they decided not to sign anybody this offseason. After losing Verlander, I think they made Verlander an offer, but they didn't sign anyone else to supplement this rotation, and they trusted the depth. And that's where trusting your depth can, I guess, come back to bite you. If your depth goes away, then all of a sudden you got guys that you have JP France who I guess he looked good against the Mariners they have a very pen they have a good penchant for making guys look good in their major league debuts but you know I don't know if the Astros really want JP France starting you know for the rest of the season in the rotation they might go make a move but at as it stands now that's what it's going to be and that was just a decision they made and now we're gonna have to see how it works out so I think they banked on Hunter Brown being good. And, and that part they got right because he's been awesome. So you've got Hunter Brown, you've still got Framber, and you've still got Christian Javier, which, I mean, you put that one, two, three up against any other one, two, three in baseball. It's not the best one, but it's still up there. So we're talking about the Astros depth here, but it's perspective because 
they're still one of the most loaded teams in baseball for a reason. But I think the reason they didn't sign anybody is because you take those three guys and then you add a healthy McCullers, you add a healthier Keaty, you add a healthy Luis Garcia. At least they thought at the time, I think they still felt pretty good about the rotation, but they have had the injury bug hit them like a train here in 2023. And that's not even including Altuve in, in the lineup. Mm-hmm. And you could look at their lineup too, and it's just, we saw it didn't, didn't look like the Astros we saw towards the end of last season when we, we when the past series this past weekend didn't look the same. That's just, just all part of, uh, of defending your, your World Series title. One note on that. The Houston Astros in their starting lineup currently have three guys with an OPS plus above 100. One of them is Jeremy, Jeremy one of them? He is. He is at 102, so wow. barely. Career average then. Again, he got all this hype last year. And yes, he's a great defender, but it's not like he was some elite bat just in the postseason. He was league average as a hitter last year. Anyway, point being, he's been about league average again this year as a bat, maybe slightly above. The only two guys hitting in the lineup right now are Jordan and Kyle Tucker. The rest of the guys are not, including Alex Bregman. So, look, people have had their worries about the Mariners through the first month or so, and some of them are fair, but they're not the only team struggling. Like Teams like the Astros have their things to figure out right now, too. It doesn't help that the Rangers are there off to a really hot start. They look good, and they have had Jacob deGrom about half the time, right? That's something that they, they're going to have to keep an eye on. And they haven't had Corey Seager. Nope. So, yeah, the Rangers, they'll be a team to circle to see if they keep this up. Okay, our favorite segment, our Russell Wilson umpire of the week. And boy, do we have a good one this week. Just as a quick reminder. To win this award, you either have to miserably fail to see over the middle, not let a play develop, or be downright insufferable. Somebody met those requirements this week, TJ. I'll let you tell everybody who it was. It wasn't just somebody. It was multiple. I We're giving this award this week to the entire umpiring crew of Mayfort's Rays Pirates game. Uh, this is especially going to crew chief Adrian Johnson because he's in charge of the whole crew. But this was a crew decision uh, in that May 4th game. Zach Eflin was pitching on the mound for the Tampa Bay Rays. He wears a wedding ring. He's a right-handed pitcher, and he wears a wedding ring on his left hand, his left ring finger, which is, as you would guess, in his glove. Now, the lovely men in black decided that he should not be allowed to wear that ring while pitching. Note that... Since he got married in 2020, he has worn this wedding ring for every single start since 2021. Every single one. He's worn the wedding ring. The umpires have seen it before, and they've said, oh, okay. But now we have a group of men who've decided that he should not be allowed to wear it. Why? I don't know. And they threatened him and said, hey, listen, it's going to come down to this point. You're either going to get ejected or you're going to have to take the ring off. And he's like, fine. Puts it around his neck in a necklace. But I can't say I've seen an umpiring crew threaten to toss someone for wearing a wedding ring before. That is a first. Like, who cares? I don't know what these guys are going on about. Like, so, so Eflin talked about this after the game, right? He said this umpiring crew was a little more on edge. They seem to have an issue with it. Then adding... 
I have never been asked to take this thing off in any of my other starts. I mean, you just kind of outlined it there. What? He said, yeah. He said, I've seen other pitchers wear it. Position players can call timeout, get pine tower, whatever they want. They can wear all these bracelets and stuff, but I can't wear a ring on my gloved hand. Gloved hand. Like, not touching the ball. Like, not, like, no way to make contact with it, but still, it's, you're getting tossed if you wear this. Have these umpires actually talked about publicly what this specific issue was that he was wearing it? I haven't heard it. Probably thought in some way it could doctor the baseball and and give him an advantage. I don't know. I don't see how that's physically possible. You can always take the ring and inspect it and say, okay, there's no problem with this. You can always do that. There's always an option. Like you can inspect whatever the pitcher's wearing. But they decided to just levy a uh, levy an ejection against him instead. Just like the fine men we know. We do love that. Okay. Lyle, let's wrap up the show with Speak Your Mind. Speak Your Mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. All right. What's on your mind this week? It's actually a little interesting. My Speak Your Mind this week is I'm not sure if I have one. And the reason is because over the last week, I feel like I've been doing a ton of stuff revolving around this podcast. And I mean, both of us always are not that that's all that different, but with stuff this week, I feel like I was really busy and kind of had my head down with a lot of stuff trying to get things done for this podcast. And I was kind of sitting this week thinking, saying, man, what's been on my mind this week? And there wasn't that much other than I'm, I'm trying to, you know, we're trying to make stuff happen with this podcast. We've got a laundry list of things that we're still trying to get done and goals we want to accomplish. So I'd say it was mostly revolved around that. I will throw this one thing in there. However, shout out to Seattle Kraken. Five goals in the second period on Sunday. That was something. I'll tell you what. I didn't it's think a, there was any. What's up? It's a big It's a big Seattle over Texas week this weekend. Yes, it is. Because I didn't think there was any way in the world they were putting up that many goals on the Dallas Stars. I think Dallas is better than them on paper. I think most people do. And I didn't think there was a, I didn't think there was no chance that they could win this game at home, especially with the electric crowd. But to score seven goals, that was insane. Without your top two goal scorers playing, correct? By the way, or your your, pro, your top two scorer. I don't know if it was final goals, but you're missing your your top two scores in in Burkowski and and uh, and Jared McCann, and still putting up seven goals with seven different guys, which is. Absolutely insane. They do probably have the best depth of any team remaining. This is our, my my deeply nuanced, like, I've been watching hockey since I was three years old, like, information takes analysis. I know that's why you come and listen to this podcast to hear me talk about hockey. Yeah, it's it's been fun to watch. I, I can't, I want to go to a playoff game so bad. I, like, I enjoyed the game I went to regular season. It, it felt like maybe a tiny, like, the environment was a tiny bit, like, like, brought down a little bit, but... I'm sure in the playoffs, it's it's pro- it's absolutely electric. It really is. My speaker mind this week, uh, it is baseball related, unfortunately, because this happened on Sunday. There was a baseball rule I did not know, and I was flabbergasted. Uh, I was at the Oregon State-Utah game on Sunday. Did you know there's a concussion protocol in baseball? I guess it doesn't shock me that there is. I don't know that there's a rule behind it, so you might have to enlighten me on this. 
so it went this the kid for Utah, the catcher, got beamed in the head in the first inning, went down to first base, then got taken out of the game. He was replaced. But top of the uh, bottom of the first inning comes around. He comes back on the field and starts catching. And we're all in the press box thinking, well, you just got taken out of the game. You can't do that. So the SID scramble and they go down and, and check the rules. And the rule is that you can you can get taken out of the game to get evaluated for a concussion. If you don't feel like you have one, you can re-enter in that spot. So he re-entered. It's like, huh, okay. And the guy who entered for him can only re-enter in that spot as well. So he, his, the backup catcher can only come in in that spot in the order, replacing him. And then about an inning later, he got taken out permanently. So it was just like, it was just kind of a weird situation. But there were some pretty good baseball minds that have seen quite a lot of baseball in that press box. And nobody had heard of that rule before. Nobody. Just, it was, it was kind of puzzling. So shout out the Utah Utes for memorizing the NCAA rule book on, uh, on what you can do with injuries. Because I certainly have not. Is that a college baseball rule or does it apply in the big leagues too? Probably. I'd say I don't probably. know. Yeah, I'd say probably. I'm I'm not I'm not totally sure. So I don't know. So that's probably off the top of my head. And now I guess my second speaker mind this week is now that summer is coming up, and wow, I honestly didn't think about this till 30 seconds ago. We were just discussing this before recording this. Uh it's summer, so I'm gonna remind all my listeners. Uh, you have paid time off. Please take it. Go on vacation. Spend spend your, you go. go outside. Go 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 hop on a flight. Go book it. Use Google Flights. It's great. Use the Explore tab on Google Flights. You can go fly wherever you want. You probably get a pretty good deal. Maybe we'll have to do something like that this summer to get to mm-hmm. a road series. Yeah, we'll Mariners do that. Do some content. I mean, I've had that idea now for a couple months saying we should do something like that over the summer. I know we were talking about this before getting on here too, but now just talking about it here with everybody, I think that'd be really fun to get to a road series for the M's this year. So we can when make do it they happen. go to Oakland. We need to, Yeah. So we're going over. Oh no. <laughs> so, so I've been to O.co once and that will be the last time I ever go there. Unless oh. it's an ex- extenuating circumstance. Hmm. I have no interest to go back to that stadium ever again. All right, we'll try and pick a good spot. If we if we can make it work it out schedule wise, then I think Lyle and I'll jump with that opportunity. But even if you're not going to see a baseball game, like book that flight. I mean, you only you only live one time, so please please go go live it. Unless yeah, unless you're Lyle, want to go to Europe, but that's that's another case. Get out and travel this summer. No matter where it is, traveling is fun. So, like TJ said, you got paid time off. Take advantage of it. For us this week, I think that'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know you want to listen to the full podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. We've got video podcasts on YouTube. Go watch us on YouTube, by the way. We've got an awesome new setup. Our friend Victor Wren made us some nice graphics in the background. So check us out if you're listening right now on YouTube as well. Social media, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube shorts. All the ads for those are at Marine Layer Pod. Subscribe, give us a five-star review. And for TJ Matthewson, this is Lyle Goldstein. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com.